Black Tribers. Gary and Lisa Black here in quarantine in Spain. Quarantine and lockdown. Lockdown for 22, 23 days? No, longer than that. We're going into the into a month this week. Yeah, so, this yeah. will be, Sunday will be a full month. Yep. And we think we probably have two weeks after that. Yeah, they've extended it for yeah, sure. So. That's okay. Good news is the school is thriving. We are thriving here in Spain together. We have not stopped working. Um, we've kept our regular schedule, class all day, and then discipleship in the afternoon and into the well, evening. Well, actually, we're much more busy than normal. <laughs> we are more busy. <laughs> we're doing one-on-ones. We're getting, you know, we do our one-on-ones here in Spain. We have class. And then when that's all done around four, uh, we start getting all the American calls. Yes, which we love. We do love it. Yeah. It our is. own it's children. A, it's a beautiful life. To global you. It really is. The hardest racers. thing for me in this lockdown has been that we've only had three days of sunshine since we started yes. lockdown. And so even going out on our terrace has not been an option, which I do think we're desperate to get some vitamin D. Vitamin D. So a little bit of sunshine and I can handle anything. But we've got a song. No. John Denver. No. Okay. Like it, but um, yeah, I think that we're thriving in this environment. We've gotten more creative. I definitely have extended my phone calls with people. Um, we got to talk to Caleb for a good hour, hour and a half because yeah. he wasn't running constantly to get to work, and um, right. he wasn't stressed out. Yeah, connections with most of our kids has been amazing because they're all stuck, just yeah. like we are, and we have long conversations with them. What's the hardest thing been for you? Um, not talking to. One of our children has been really difficult for me. Um, but I think, you know, I didn't think that the um, online stuff was going to work. I was really struggling doing my heart week online with G42. And, you know, God supersedes everything. And I feel like he's creating all new ways that we're going to minister moving forward. And I think it's happening all over the earth. So, well, one thing we keep talking about that we're, we're seeing a lot of people are feeling the same thing is, For those people that are chaotic in their spirit and in their emotions and probably even in their body, this is like torture for them to sit still. And I think there's only two options to go. You're either going to go deeper and get some healing at this time, or you're probably going to blow things up. That's right. And for those of us that have been kind of in a rushed panic mode that we weren't in control of, like several of our children have not ever been, you know, they can't ever take a day off. They really never rest. They get really sick because they work so hard and so many long hours and their sleep is messed up. It's been like a lifesaver for several of them that they finally, like Caleb just looked more alive and more relaxed than he has in years because his work keeps him on the road. Yes, absolutely. So I think it's, that is coming to the surface for everybody. I think that um, marriages are either going to go deeper or implode. Well, I read an article today, the uh, spousal abuse and domestic violence has gone off the charts. I haven't wanted to hit you one time during this. <laughs> I wish I could say no. <laughs> For but sure. We want to start our marriage series and we want it to be something that people that are engaged can listen to. We want it to be someone that newlyweds we deal with a lot can listen to. And if you're praying for your spouse, yes. we want you to. And if you know what, you've been through a divorce, uh, you've been through adultery, you've been through whatever you've been through. This is for you because we've been through all those things. Yeah, there's not one thing. We and haven't. we're still here, bitches. Yeah. Can I say that yeah, on our own podcast? We can podcast? say whatever we want oh, on okay. our own podcast. That's okay. my, for those of you that don't know, that's my tattoo that if I got one, I would have that across my stomach, but I'm not going to get one. I have no desire to get a tattoo. I think they're beautiful on other people. They just don't, probably wouldn't look good on me. Should we do a hashtag? We're still here. We're still here, bitches. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Unfortunately, that was the only part of my teaching week that Andrew Shearman tapped into was when 
the class was asking me about my non-existent tattoo. So yes. that was, that was humbling. <laughs> I respect him dearly and I want him to think I'm a classy woman. You are a hundred percent. Okay. <laughs> so we're doing a new series on marriage yes. and you're going to lead us because you've led us most of our marriage into good things, oh, led us into you. bad things, into dangerous things, into chaos and dark things at times. So we're going to dive into all of that. We're going to dive in today on your marriage story. Okay. And so if you are engaged right now, you should be talking to your future spouse about what do we want our marriage story to be, which I think should start with a mission statement for your marriage. We always had a mission statement for our family and our yep. kids would quote it. And every once in a while we put on a family group chat, you know, black family was blessed to be a blessing and we see who can finish it. So, cause it's ingrained in them since they were little, but we had a mission statement for our marriage and we had a mission statement for our family. And so when things came up, we run it through the mission statement and decide what it was. But we, I think you and I are on our, our third marriage because we were both married before in our early twenties. And those marriages ended in, in divorce and death. And then we married each other and went through several tumultuous years. And we have had a marriage revival in the past decade. Yeah, and we have. So I, I feel like I'm married to a different person than I was married to 20 years ago. Well, and everything was stacked against us yeah. to make it. So second marriages, first of all, 87% don't make it. Marriages that have death of children, 97 percent of those don't so like everything was stacked against blended us. yeah and somehow we're still here because we keep showing up we keep showing up we're sometimes. very stubborn in a good way neither one of us are quitters i yes. could i would say that about us we have a lot of faults but we're not quitters right and we were determined to get our marriage healed because um, we did not want to cause more pain to our children right and that was super motivating for both of us but we would not be here if we had both not laid down pride. Right. And there was years in the marriage where I would go to you humbly and you, there's been years in the marriage where you've come to me humbly, but ultimately we've both humbled ourselves and said, this is more important than anything else in our world. And on this quarantine last, uh, this last weekend, I pampered you and gave you some spa treatments. And then Shakataba. So that'll make you day. pray in tongues if you don't pray. It in was tongue. a good day. And then um, I took a shower and did my facials and did all that. And then I actually put a real dress on and real heels and you made a beautiful dinner and we got to share that together. And we were pretending that we were out of our house. Yes. It was a great night. It was. So that is not something we've only done since we started, you know, being our empty nest. 20 years later. We're doing these creative things. And honestly, it's funny, but, you know, our 17-year-old Noah moved out, uh, what, four months ago? Yeah. Uh, and stayed in Colorado. And we have fought less since he moved out than we've ever There's not nothing fought. to fight about. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, we've already raised the kids. We've already faced a million battles. We've come out of the battles alive. And we still love each other and respect well, and, each other. And let's say, I mean, guys, there's nothing wrong with a good fight. I, no. I want you to hear that. I mean, I know a lot of marriage counselors may tell you differently, but listen, sometimes you just need to have a good fight and, and that's okay. As long as you know, it's going to end up in the bedroom and it's going to be glorious because you're not fighting to divide, you're fighting to express. And we're going to talk about this as we do this series, but you shadow box your little girl inside that woman and that little boy inside that man come out and you've got to learn how to watch for that shadow self and, and serve those things. And I think the thing I've learned the most that we'll, well, I'm sure we'll talk about is 
how to study your rhythms and how to study your pace and serve that in an amazing way. And I learned a new word today. You did. I want to share it with everybody. Are you going to say it right? I'm going to say it right because I'm going to start with my wife, Lisa Marie, is an introvert. <laughs> and proud of it. And very proud. And she's loving lockdown. <laughs> I am a full-on extrovert, an eight on the Enneagram for all of our Enneagram lovers. Um, and I'm hopefully getting more redeemed as an eight. Um, but I'm becoming an uh, ambivert. I think that's the way that <laughs> made up the word. one of our interns told me this morning. So I was ambidestrous when I was young. I, I think he's still left awesome. and right, but yeah. big, we didn't know that. So I right left, I bat left, I golf left, but I am right-handed. I throw right, I you know all those things, and I'm becoming more of an introvert as I'm learning about the heart yeah. and the heart stuff I'm doing, and just becoming older and enjoying my marriage at a deep level. Um, I'm becoming more introverted. So I'm I'm an ambivert. And we, I have had to step out in some scary places because I really would like to be a behind the scenes person, but I've had to become a front runner and what? The, I mean, yeah, it's beautiful. And so, um, I think we've met in the middle a little bit. Like yes. we've, we visited each other's we, world. We're becoming one. We are becoming one. <laughs> but I heard something really great on it the other day is we usually, I think most people are attracted to their opposite in some way because we know there's something we need in that person and vice versa. And I think that I was drawn to your adventurous side. And I think you were drawn to my, my peace that I carried yes. because you needed peace in your life. And I needed adventure in my life. Absolutely. I needed some wild things, but, um, our neighbors just pounding our okay. neighbors hammering away. So There's no enjoy that in our that. podcast. Yeah. So I can visit you in your world, but I can't stay in your world because I'll get sick. If I stay in your introverted world or your extroverted world, I will get physically ill. You do get Ill. sick. You actually do. And if you sick. tried to stay in my world for too long, you would get sick. My head well. would blow yeah. off. Yeah. So it's not it's not changing who you are. It's being aware of where you fill up. And you've only in recent years like accepted the fact that I have to have solitude in order to fill up Absolutely. to go to the next place. And you just kind of try to drag me around the world for years. Right. And, and I love now that I know to put you away, to get you tea and slice of toast like I did yesterday morning Yeah, and make sure that you are okay. If you need to stay in bed and sleep for a while, if you just need to be alone in the room. And I love that. And I never knew that. Before. And you've done a beautiful job at that too, because I don't feel guilty when I need it now. And right. I used to feel like there was something wrong with me that needs to be fixed. So young men take heed right now. Do not drag your wife around, especially in ministry. Well, and in business either we've done all of it. And try to make her fit into your world. She will, if you serve her stuff at her pace and what, what what brings her alive, she'll gladly serve yours if you do it well. When 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 scripture says that the man is the head over the wife, like the like Christ is for the church, what he's talking about there is he went to the cross for us. Mm -hmm. And we go to the cross for our wives as the head of our families. All that means is we get to serve underneath at a greater way and study what they need, study their paces, study their rhythms and make them better. And that makes us the head. If you're the head of your, your, your marriage, because you're the one who's going to determine how everything's going to go. Good luck with that young man. It's not going to work. Yeah. And you were kind of taught that you were taught that you were King basically. Yeah. And I was your servant. And wow. <laughs> well, let's be honest. I mean, it was kind of a Fred Flintstone way of living was I was Wilma and I, my job was to bring you the big steak. Come on, Barney. Yeah. But um, <laughs> you evolved as a man 
out of out of death and all the different things that you've had yeah. to rise out of. And you started accepting me as an equal partner. Yeah. And you started appreciating what I brought to the table. Yeah. I think and- Chris Fountain says that best that we're not, God didn't take us a, a woman out of our head or out of our foot. He took us out of our side as a help mate, as somebody that we get to lead together with, not one over the other or under the other. And so, so let's get started. So all let's- right, let's talk about, um, what, uh, what the word submission means. Cause you alluded to that a little bit. Okay. This is something that, that comes to me all the time. Women ask me about this, what this means. Men never ask me, they're not concerned, but women are really concerned, especially young women. So the word submission in kind of the way we were raised was that the men, man was the head and that the woman was submissive to him. That was abused in a lot of ways where men would use scripture to Lord over their wives or manipulate their wives or even abuse their wives. Yeah. And a lot of cults, that's kind of how it, the man is kind of the king and the women are just there to serve him and make him a a bigger God. I think if we really look at the scripture though, that's not at all what was intended. If we look at um, Corinthians where um, Jesus is talking about the, the way that the church is set up and the way that the government is set up and the way that marriage is set up is that women are to submit to their husbands it doesn't say that all women submit to all men. And there's a big difference. Okay. Because so I submit to you because you are my husband. Also, I chose you. And so submission to me means I come under the mission of the family. And we've established what the mission of our family is by conversations that we're both putting input into and both respecting what the person is seeing. Because I have, an, as a woman, I can see things that you can't see. And as a man, you can see things that I can't see. I mean, I always use the analogy of the fact that you're so tall, you're like six, three. And when we're in a crowded place on the rare occasion that I have flat boots on or something, I'm only, you know, maybe five, 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 six. You're, you're short. I, I'm not short. You're a giant. <laughs> and I can't see what, the, what is ahead of us. And you will look over my head at what's coming in this crowd and where there's a place to go. And then you'll just kind of guide me with your hand on my back. I literally can't see, but you're how tall you are. You have a different, by the way, I love my hand on your back. Number two, two, I always tell every young man I'm discipling that uh, you get a whole new set of eyes when you get married, if you'll allow that to happen. Yes, And it's really true. We get to see the world completely different because we're not looking through our eyes anymore. We're looking through our wife's eyes Mm. and we want to serve that. Your uncle told us that he'd been married for 60 some years or 70 some years. 68, I think. Yeah. And he said the hardest thing about losing his wife was he lost an, an extra set of eyes. That's to see right. The I world. forgot that he had said that. And when yeah. he said that, I was like, wow, that's really beautiful. And he said, I, I, I'll never, I can't see the world in fullness because I don't have her eyes anymore. Wow. I know. Now he probably didn't realize that when he was a young man though. He didn't. He was probably he irritated know. by her view. I don't think he even knew that as an old man. No, but, probably not till yeah. after she died, sadly, but I'm glad yeah. that we know that. Um, and so this word submission is so it's a lot of times that we stop at that part of the verse and we just, we tell women you're to submit to your husband. Well, first of all, I only submit to you. I tell everybody I'm not in a covenant with anyone except for you and God. Mm. So I am not swayed by the opinion of my parents, my children, my siblings, anyone I'll listen to them. But when it comes to actually making decisions, all I care about is your opinion, God's opinion. Cause you're the person I'm in covenant with and what decisions we make affect our everyday life also affects our children. It also affects our ministry and everything that we do. 
But if I thought I had to be submissive to all men, that would completely shut me down as a woman. Absolutely. And I, I mean, the most of our leadership here is male and I have no problem following these guys. I also have no problem leading these guys. Right. Because I'm a leader and I'm a strong leader. And sometimes I bring something to the conversation that they desperately need. And then there's times where I just back off and let you guys talk because I feel like a woman will change the, uh, the essence of the, the conversation. And sometimes I think you guys need to be vulnerable. And so even though I'm in leadership with you guys and I'm equal to you in that, I still, there's times I step out and I'm like, you know what? I think you guys need to be able to talk as friends and as husbands and fathers without me there. You do that really well. That's very hard for a lot of women, but that need control, but you don't need control. And so you do step out when you know it's just time for the boys to kind of wrestle through mm -hmm. something, but then you do bring wisdom and man, like Andrew Sherman, he loves what you bring to the table and he considers you you know, a main leader here and you're at the table. And so, so yeah, but I think it's more because you don't need to control things right. that, that the men here love you to be as, as equal with us. So that makes a big difference. Huge difference. Yeah. So talk a little bit about your first marriage story. Oh gosh. Cause what did that look like in your first marriage? Well, I mean, again, I think this is a really good lesson. If you would listen to me and you're a young man listening to this or a young woman, I decided to go against all my values and my family's values and the culture of our family and have sex before marriage. Mm -hmm. And I didn't take it seriously. Mm -hmm. And I, I see so many, even in our family that, that do that and take it there. And so I think, um, I had sex before marriage and I was doing a lot of drugs and I was partying and I was living for myself and I got a young lady pregnant uh, out of wedlock. And my dad offered to give me money and a car to leave. Many people advised me not to get married. Uh, I had a prophet woman in my life at the time that, that met, um, my wife at the time. And she, um, she, she advised me not to marry her before I did be, be just because of the influence demonically and things in her life and mentally. Um, but I was going to be the hero and mm -hmm. I did, and mm -hmm. I had a Jesus complex and I thought I could fix people. Um, and so our marriage was terrible. It was, uh, violent. I was abused, um, physically and mentally. And I was angry. Mm -hmm. I was angry because I made mistakes. And so I thought, let's have a, this baby and it'll fix it. And poor Tyler was born into this tremendous responsibility yeah. for a little newborn. <laughs> and, um, and he couldn't fix it. No. And then here came Michael and Michael couldn't fix it. And then Caleb and, you know, we, we, we moved, we did ministry. Um, and my life in the world was amazing. I was being, I was becoming very successful. I was yeah. becoming famous in ministry, all the things, you know, in my world, famous, not like a Brad Pitt or something. Um, but at home, I'd come home and the whole house would be broken mm -hmm. apart. And, and, uh, there was a lot of violence and guns being pulled and different things. And so, and a lot of adultery. And so, um, but I made that decision right? in my selfishness and living for myself. I created this world for myself that I tried to blame everyone else for, but I had to take responsibility because I did it. Well, and I'll tell you what I love about you in that story. I love that your call to being a father to your unborn child was more important to you than anything else. And that you were willing to do anything to be with that child. Well, And I can say now that I honestly, that's true. Like I, when I, when Tyler was born and I held him up to that window and dedicated him to God in the hospital room, yeah. I knew that I was born to be a father. And I knew that I was, I was 
I'm not a great one, obviously. I've had a lot of mistakes and and you guys know some of our story, but um, I knew I was born to be a father. Yeah. And so I knew I was going to do anything it took to protect uh, my children, period. Well, and that is one of the reasons why I was drawn to you, because when I met you, I had been widowed for five years, four years already, and been raising my girls by myself and working. And um, I had a lot of men come knocking on my door over those years. Of course you did. Have and you some you? were, int- well, I was really cute back then, but um, <laughs> I, I, there were nice guys. There were guys that made a lot of money. There were, you know, some good men, some but I think I was looking for a partner and I think I was looking for a father for my daughters. Yeah. And we had several families in our uh, kind of extended community that were going through divorces. And I watched two men that we knew pretty well throw their hands up in the air, give their wives full custody, even knowing that the wives had some serious mental issues and the children were not in a healthy place in, in any way, shape or form. But they didn't want to fight that. So they just gave up. And I, I lost all respect for those men. And when I saw you willing to give up everything to fight for your boys and their mental and physical safety and their spiritual safety, I was like, this is a battle that I, I can, I can come up, I mean, alongside easily. Yeah. And your parents told you not to. Well, everyone told me not to. Yeah. And you shouldn't have. I mean, it was a hell of a battle. (laughs) I probably should (laughs) have. It's a little late now. Yeah, it's too late now. But I would say to anyone looking at a blended family situation, it is not a normal situation where you're going to be able to have conversations with other people that are raising their children together or don't have kids yet. Becoming a stepmother or a stepfather is literally a calling. It is a calling. It's a calling like becoming an adoptive parent. It's a yes. calling like becoming a foster parent. It is not It is not requiring a skill set. It is requiring bravery and tenacity and a literal call on your life that you were created to love these people, even though you have no biological tie to them. And that call in me was bigger than all the naysayers. Yes. It was way bigger in me. And I was like, these boys need nurturing. I'm a nurturer. Gary needs rescuing. I'm really good at that. Like yes. I was full at that time. And you did rescue me. Absolutely. I was full at that time because I had four years of just being with the Lord yeah. and just really filling up all everything in me was surrounded with his, his hope and his glory. Because you, you'd been widowed, what, four or five years four before years, that, yeah. four years before. And the the father really became he became everything everything to you for the first time in my life yeah I'd always believed in him but it was a different level and I'm thankful because he prepared me for what was I didn't know I I I knew it was going to be hard I didn't know it was going to be as hard as it was and I didn't think for a minute it was going to last as long as it did I thought sure. we would we would get full custody your anger would dissipate. I thought, you know, the finances would flow. I thought all that stuff would happen like a year, year and a half. It ended up being about 15 years, yeah, honestly, really. of just out, really yeah. hard. But I love that. See what, that's what I want young women to know that are like looking right now. I have like three calls tonight with women that are like, what is wrong with me? And I know these women, they're amazing. I would love to have them like as a daughter-in-law, they would be who I'd pick every time, but we're having those conversations all the time. And I don't think the question is what's wrong with me. It's what's happening in culture right now. Yes. And when you're looking to spend the rest of your life with someone and be physically intimate with them for a long period of time and raise children together, you have to look at the character of that person's heart. And you showed me like I met you in your darkest time, but your character and your heart was, it was very real. Like you loved people. You cared about people. You wanted to help people. 
you were willing to fight for your kids. You were willing to fight for me. You were willing to, and I, you didn't leave her. She left you. Right. She filed paperwork. She did everything. I know you probably would have stayed in there. I I, I think I would have. I mean, there was like all the reasons to break the marriage covenant, adultery, multiple times, all the things, but I didn't, yeah, I didn't want it. And also to be honest, I had a lot of religion on me and I, I didn't think that was a biblical thing to do. And now I know that's not true now. Right. I would encourage anybody in an abusive relationship of any kind that you're coming to get, is get out immediately yeah. and get safe and get then out start and, having and conversations. Then, yeah, yeah. And, and let's get, let's work on the marriage in a safe place. Yes. But, but yeah. And so, I mean, for me, it was, I, you know, uh, I still have a lot of people from those days, especially my ministry, rock the nations that are still angry and frustrated at me because they believed lies or I did something. I was in a really dark place and maybe didn't say to them what they needed to hear and for that, I'm, you know, I'm going back and repenting to those that will talk to yeah. me and, and trying to fix those things. But, you know, we knew together once you stepped in that we could fight and we were not going to not fight to make sure the three boys were safe and protected. And thank God there was no fight over that. Like between you yeah, and I, between you and I yeah. there was no fight within our house. Like, should we fight for them? Should we do this? Should we go to court? We were a hundred percent like, no, children are being hurt here. You have to do whatever you can to protect and, children. And what that meant for us is that we filed bankruptcy. We lost, we lost our everything. houses, my house, your house. We lost cars. Well, and I always like, I had paid off my little house as a single mom. Yeah. All I owed on was the front room. Right. Like I had paid off most of the house. And that was my goal was by the time I was 30 to have my house paid off. And I met you when I was 29. So the question, is there any cost? To protect your babies, oh my and I God. don't know that there is. So. Yeah, but what I, I I was talking to Caleb the other day, and I said, Caleb, I would do it again. Yeah, I said I hate what happened, and we didn't do it all well and perfect, and I certainly would would be calmer this time around with the wisdom that I have now as an older woman. But we did the best we could in really horrible circumstances that our kids will probably never know fully. Of course, what we went through, our friends will never fully know. No. The only people that know is you and me and God, but. I loved that about you. I saw that character in you and that superseded to me everything that was going on because I knew that, first of all, you'd never leave me, which is really important to me because I'm a loyal person. That it's loyalty like, is your love Loyalty is everything. So I don't <laughs> care about anything else. I don't care if you buy me gifts. I don't care if you know the name of my children, but do you have my back? Because I will have yours and I will fight to protect you That's and I won't true. let anyone hurt you. 100%. So I saw that in you and that kind of superseded everything else. And then I felt like my call to you and my, in your, in our life was to give you a safe place to lay your head. And so I was reading in Samson and Delilah where she was seductive and manipulative and all the things that she was, but why did he confide in her? And it's because she, he could lay his head on her lap. He had a safe place to lay his head and he was a warrior and he was strong and he, everybody wanted him and everyone wanted to take him out. And he was in that war all the time and he needed a safe place to lay his head. And when he, when she provided that for him, he spilled his guts. Wow. And I think that's literally what men are desiring is a safe place for their head. And women are desiring the same thing. Like, am I safe with you? Are you going to protect my secrets? Are you, do you have my back? Do you have those things? That's what, that's what a covenant is. Right. Except that we can't be perfect in that. No. And then there's not. times that we don't right. protect and we're not safe. Yes. And and then what do you do with that? Well, first of all, you have to humble yourself and admit, like, I can't say anything to you when you come to me and say, I'm so sorry I did that. I can't say anything to you other than, okay, 
because you've humbled yourself. I mean, there's no place for me to go except for, okay. And then we move forward. So then I have a choice if I'm going to stay bitter and angry and keep bringing it up, or if I'm going to move ahead and say, okay, it's done now we've moved out. And the but what fifth, if it keeps happening if over the, the and patterns over, have I mean, to, the patterns, the bad patterns, the, the hurtful patterns have to be dealt with. And that's one of the things that we'll deal with. Um, we'll probably do a whole, a whole session just on anger. Okay. Because I think anger is the, the, the quiet hum in most households that that's why I think there's a lot of times I can think that our, our kitchen was kind of quiet and then you said something and I reacted and you could see the look on our kids' faces and they didn't know that there was, you know, six years of baggage or whatever that went up to that point. Champ's going to join us on the podcast. Sorry, we're and I, I, home. I do want to say this, that um, young women and young men, when you are looking to marry somebody and you are looking at this 27 year old boy who's trying to learn how to become a man and step into his second half of life, which we'll talk about because that's really important in our marriages to know where we are. Um, he's not 50. He's not 60. Mm -hmm. You're not marrying somebody who's been through all the things that we've been through. And I finally am stepping into a, 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 a being a really good husband. You're marrying a, a man in process, a boy in process. And so as long as you know that number one, his heart is for the Lord and that number two, his heart is to covenant, that he is a covenantal man. And again, we'll talk about that more as well. Then you can see as God sees him developing into mm -hmm. an amazing young man and, and young men, you can see a woman who maybe seems controlling and maybe a little manipulative at times because she's had to do that out of fear and because she hasn't been covered and maybe she's fatherless. Right. And so that's the kind of things you need to be able to talk about and see in one another yes. and know that you're going to both work to get to healing at some point. Well, and I think I was less so with you, but in my first marriage with John, for those of you that don't know, I got married when I was 19 um, to a man that was 24 and um, I was a powder and it worked for me. I always got what I wanted. And so I didn't see any motivation to change. But after he died, which was six years into our marriage, I looked back on it because I was alone and I was raising my kids by myself. And it was the only time in my life that I've been lonely was the first two years that John was gone. I was truly, truly lonely. And I'm very happy to be by myself and I function really well by myself. And I wasn't having a hard time you know, financially, uh, that was easy for me that uh, everything was easy, but the emotional lack of support in raising children was really, really, I think that's the hardest part of being a single mm. parent. But I looked back as I started to grow up and I started to spend more time in scripture and I spent more time with the Lord and started like embracing womanhood for the first time, probably ever at 26, 27 and realizing some of the things that I said to him and the way I treated him and how I could just like cut his feet out from under him it with my words. And I felt horrible. And I started remembering all the men in my past or boys from high school, whatever, how snarky and sarcastic I was. How snarky. That's the so word of the day. Snarky. I like that word. It's, it's my natural bent. Like I have to fight it. It's not. But I, I wouldn't let you pout and get your way. No. And you I hated it. it. <laughs> I hated it. I was like, wait a minute. I cannot manipulate or seduce this man to doing anything I wanted to do. <laughs> and so I gave up. Like, I was like, this isn't going to work. I'm going to have to try other tactics to be heard here. because It's not working. It was, I really think he didn't care. I mean, if we're really honest, 
like when I threw a fit or whatever, you were like, Oh my God, go away. You'll, you'll deal with it. Well, but, and, but honestly, your fits compared to what I was used to, <laughs> like a two. They were compared a big to a deal 20. in my yeah, world. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah. That's a good perspective. Yeah, that's right. But, um, I wish that every young woman or every older woman that's been married for a long time could do what I call a widow game because there are like severe issues like alcoholism and addiction and pornography and, you know, betrayal and those things and anger in a marriage that, that rip away constantly at the covenant and the intimacy and everything. Those are, those are big issues that have to be dealt with. And there's no getting around that. Like you're going to have to go deep and dirty and do some hard work and humble yourselves, but there's basic things like, people do everything differently. I saw on Facebook the other day, their marriage and quarantine was 90% of saying, why do you do it like that? And you fill the dishwasher differently than I do. You empty it differently. You cook differently. We do everything. No, differently. no, you actually do it differently than I do. <laughs> That's what I yeah. meant to say. Yes. I do everything differently. Yeah. You, you do it the right way. off a little bit. Yes, I am yeah. awesome. Yes, I know yeah. you would know I'll always yell at me about the dishwasher. I'm like, I've been doing this since I was eight. I know how to load a dishwasher doofuses. But I, I wish that every woman could experience that moment when the police officer comes to your front door and says, he's dead. He's never coming back. Now go tell your two-year-old and four-year-old. And, you don't and, really wish. That no, I wish they could. Yes. I wish people could experience that without going through it. Okay. I wish they would have that moment because I remember a couple of days before John died, he would get up from, you know, he worked nights and he got up and came in the kitchen where I was drinking tea or whatever and clipping cutons coupons back then and the girls are running around and he got right up of bed and he went and he drank right out of the, the uh, milk carton. I was like, that's, I said, the first thing I said to him was, that's disgusting. Why do you do that? I did that this morning. And I said, that's disgusting. Why do you do that? <laughs> and then he said, you don't drink milk. So it doesn't matter. I was like, Oh, good point. Yes. I'll enjoy my soy milk over here. So after he died, I remember I couldn't sleep of course. And I was on the phone with his brother and crying all night. I never slept. I was just cried all the time. And I tried to hold myself together during the day so I wouldn't freak out the girls. But I remember looking at the refrigerator and thinking I would do anything for him to walk in that room right now and drink out of the Of course. Car. It wasn't yeah. really that big of a deal. And that perspective is the key to happy marriages. Wow. Like what, what, is, what is the battle you're actually, if you're fighting for integrity, if you're fighting for, you know, a, a person that has an addiction, like those are, those are real battles that you need, you need help with. You need people to come around you. You need support with that. But what are the little things that we're bitching and complaining about that really doesn't matter? There's that bitching word again. That bitching word. But I mean, we all do it. It's like, yeah. does it, why, why are we arguing about this? Why are we having this conversation? And I think that's something everyone can do today whether you're engaged or newly married or been married for 20, 30, 40 years, and you're kind of like looking for, you know, some, some insight of how to like live the rest of your life really well together is what are you complaining about? What are you cursing them about that really doesn't matter? That's really your issue. And you want them to change to make your life easier. And then what are the actual underlying issues that are going on? So I would say that to some women that I know, Drinking out of the milk carton is a real issue. It's just gross. Right. It's so, because it looks selfish. It's like, I'm the only person that matters. Right. But you don't drink out of the milk carton. Because I'm a lady and I use a glass. No, but I you don't drink raised, milk, I mean. But I used to drink milk. Okay. You're missing the point. But I was, I was using that milk to feed my daughters in their bottle. And I was like, why are you sucking on the... the okay, but, you, but what you're saying is... It seems selfish to me. It's, it's being selfish for the man to do that. Mm -hmm. But is it worth you creating a battle over? No. Okay. No. 
So what, what's the solution there? Then? The solution is deciding that. And I decide all day, like, what am I going to say? Like, how am I going to respond? Like you've had to go to the grocery store for us and you follow the list. And there's one or two things that are missing. And I can be like, why didn't you get oranges? I just let it go right there because chances are it was either sold out or it didn't matter. But I could go to that place immediately where it's accusation or assuming, assuming that you just ignored the list or what all those things aren't true. The truth is that that item wasn't available. Right. But what if it was true that I ignored it? Still no big deal. Okay. So So we're not having that recipe tonight because we're missing that ingredient. Oh, well. Okay. I can pivot, right? Like how much is that? Is it worth tearing at the intimacy that you and I share over coconut milk? No. Yeah. And I think the point is integrity. So if in this scenario, as a man, if I knew you were drinking milk, honestly, I wouldn't drink out of the carton anymore <laughs> Except because, for you always because I always have. And I know the cre- <laughs> what it created in, in the tumultuous, in the, in the, in the fighting and the, in what we talked about. So I think the issue is integrity on both sides. Yeah. I think, how am I going to bless my wife, not curse her? And so now, because we're in lockdown and quarantine, honestly, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm, Lisa doesn't drive a stick, so I'm driving the car to go get groceries. Well, um, only one person can leave at a time. And we can only leave one so at a time. We don't really and, have an option. And um, I want to make sure I get everything on that list so that I'm pleasing you. Yes. And making sure that you feel fully served. And the reason I life. put everything on the list is because I've planned meals that I think you'll really enjoy and right. I have to have ingredients. Right. So both of our intentions are very pure. Yeah, and so for me point. to yeah. jump to a conclusion that you you've ignored me or didn't care or weren't attentive would be ignorant on my part. And it would cause hurt to both of us if I even brought right. that up. That's good. So assuming the best changes everything instead of saying he's he he said he'd be home for dinner. He's not. Well, meetings happen. Traffic happens. All kinds of. Th- of course, I always assume you're dead. Because of my my traumatic past with sudden deaths in my family, yes. um, if you sleep past five thirty, like if I wake up at five thirty in the morning and you're still in bed, I assume I, the first thing I assume is you're dead <laughs> because you never sleep past five thirty in the morning. Okay, that's true. <laughs> and I said, "Is that weird?" And you said, "Yeah, I think that's yeah, weird. that's a little off." But yeah. we have had a lot of sudden deaths. We had a lot of, a lot of bad. <laughs> I start planning your funeral. I start trying to figure out where I'm going to move. Okay, so I heard I heard a thing we talked about a little bit yesterday of, you know, what we're looking for to do and what we want to walk you guys into is: Are you going to be the first to forgive? Are you going to be the first to assume the best? And even when your spouse doesn't, are you still going to? Because yeah. that's what true love is. Love, if we're, if we're following scripture and we want to have healthy marriages, and, and I want to say this on our very first podcast going into this marriage sequence is that the best way that you can serve your children, those of you that have children, is to have a healthy marriage. Yes. People ask us all the time, what's the best way that we can raise our kids? What are, what's some advice about raising our kids? The number one way that you can raise your kids successfully is to have a healthy marriage, period. And what I mean by that is, is that you forgive even when you don't need to ask for forgiveness. Uh, you you are the first one to repent. You are the first one to humble yourself. And if you can start to learn how to practice that now and not need to be right, which is so hard, I know, yeah. then that's how you get to health ultimately. Well, yeah. And that's, I guess that's where we'll leave it today. And then we'll pick up is, is the question I always ask myself. I asked myself when John died is who do I want to be in the story? Do I want to be hysterical? 
Do I want to be a woman of strength and a substance? Do I want my girls to look back on this time and say, that was really horrible. We went through mom, but you were steady and you were stable and you took care of us and you protected us. And they do say that now for years, they didn't understand that. And so every time things have come up, I have to ask myself, who do I want to be in that story where we're taught culturally in every movie, every book, every, everything is that you are, you are a half a person that man is a half a person. You come together, you'll become a full person. That's crap. You need to be a full person on your own. He needs to be a full person on their own. When you come together, it should be a dynamite explosion of creativity and blessing and intimacy. Yeah. It shouldn't be trying to fill each other's void. And then a lot of people, when they get divorced, they say, well, he just didn't make me happy or she didn't meet my needs. That's the opposite of what scripture talks about. Scripture talks about, we'll go back to where we started and we'll end there, is that a man lays his life down to serve his wife. And you have done that in recent years. You've laid your life down to serve me. And I've blossomed as a writer and a speaker and all the different things that I put way, way on the back burner and as a teacher, but you've just encouraged me and covered me in that and made sure it made me great in that. But there were years where my job really was to keep stability in the family. And so right. all my time and attention went there and it would, that was necessary. And I don't regret any of it. It was it was sacrificing. It wasn't my dream necessarily. But then one day I woke up and realized my family is my dream without wholeness and, and, and love within our family. Nothing else really matters. It's all about family and, and marriage isn't 50, 50. It's 100%, 100%. Yeah, absolutely. And you don't get it right in your first year, your ninth year, your 15th year, your 20th year. It is a growing, sometimes amazing, sometimes horrible fight of marriage of becoming one you fight to become one yes. and that's what we want to walk you through and so welcome to the black tribe marriage series we're going to talk about sex we're going to talk about what else we're going to talk about we're going to talk about cultural differences and this next episode we're going to talk about cultural differences because no matter where you came from you have cultural differences your family of origin is its own culture and the biggest biggest thing we face is becoming our own culture within yes. our family. And we're always fighting for my family did this way. My family did this way. Instead of looking at this is a new family, new covenant. What are we going to do with that? I did a teaching today on our Patreon site. You can, you can go to patreon.com slash Gary and Lisa Black. I did a teaching on culture, family, community, and how you develop first in your family, a culture of just honor and life and beauty mm -hmm. that, that then translates into your community and how you build community. Um, and so go check that out. Can't wait to keep doing this. Awesome, babe. We're going to go make love now. Amen. Oh my gosh. We know we're going to do another podcast. <laughs> oh, we're going to do another podcast. But I did shave my legs. So oh, today's a good Praise day. Jesus. God bless you guys, man. <laughs> love doing this.